Hi guys, welcome and welcome back to the podcast. I have been meaning to watch that. I'm your host, Monica, and I am joined by two amazing, amazing, amazing um, guest stars here. They are from the podcast. Um, could you say your name for me so I don't mispronounce it, the name of your podcast? the It's Movie Oubliette. Movie Oubliette. Guys, this yeah. is Conrad and Dan. They have been so kind and so wonderful to appear as guests on the podcast. So I'm going to let you guys go ahead and do a short little introduction and, you know, tell your listeners, tell my listeners about yourselves. Okay. So sure. I'm Conrad. Yeah. I'm in Cambridge, UK. And um, I'm Dan. I'm down here in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. And you guys, how long have you been doing your podcast for? Oh. Is it over four years yeah. now, Dan? I think it's, I think wow. it's four years. Uh, is it wow. the, f- the fifth year coming in June, July? Yeah, I think July? it is. Yeah. yeah, coming up for our fifth <laughs> anniversary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's so cool. Wow, I have to say, um, I've been doing this podcast for I think two years. It's going to be this October, so that's phenomenal that you guys have been doing it for like almost five years now that's really cool like (laughs) the fact you've been doing this for so long is like a true testament to how much you love podcasting your love for movies and just like staying consistent in you know this little platform that you have and i think it's really awesome yeah i mean you 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 yourself have had a lot of episodes because are you weekly you you release weekly (laughs) right yeah i try to release weekly yeah yeah, so we we release like every fortnight or every two weeks. So uh, uh-huh. not as many episodes, but I guess we we do a lot of production and, and editing, and uh, we do all the music mm-hmm. as well, all the mm-hmm. sound design little skits that we have as well. So yeah, oh, it's a bit of work. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I honestly love your podcast. I listened to a couple episodes um, before I asked you guys to come on, and the movies that you talk about in review are movies that I haven't like seen or watched. A lot of them I haven't really heard of. So yeah. <laughs> listening to you guys talk about them and dive into them is definitely interesting to me because you see a lot of movie podcasts that t- touch on like new releases or they have like the kind of like shtick that they um, kind of stay to. And your mm. niche is kind of it's very, very unique. Like it's definitely a niche in its own right in terms of films. And I, I love it. Like podcast sure. is great. <laughs> and yeah, I thank you again for just agreeing to be on. It's, an, it's awesome to have you guys here. Yeah. Thank well, you. Thanks for letting yeah. us uh, be on. Yeah. We, we cover a lot of um, really obscure films normally, um, all genre films <laughs> as well. So fantasy, horror, um, sci-fi. Um, yeah, a lot of very uh, some some B grade films, some movies that were flops when they came out, mm. or um, like much lesser known films than people would normally cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we Amazing. review them and try to decide whether they should be set free from the movie oubliette, which is like <laughs> our imaginary dungeon, or whether uh, they should be thrown back in there because they deserve their obscurity. So right. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. It is. awesome i love that and you know we're going to talk about that today um the podcast today on the podcast we're going to be talking about horror films that were initially flops at the box office but have become kind of cult classics in their Uh own right and each one of us has our own film that we're going to dive deep into but before we get into that we're going to get into the segment can't wait to watch where we talk about new releases and entertainment news that have been you know 
trending on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you find your entertainment news. And there's one piece of news that I've been seeing a lot, and I need to get your opinion on it because uh-huh. I don't know how I feel about this. So there, as you know, oftentimes there are casting rumors around like Marvel, fil- Marvel films and any kind of movies that come out with like a well-known prominent director. And the new rumor that has kind of been spilling on my Twitter timeline is Margot Robbie being cast as Sue Storm in an upcoming Marvel film. And of course right. it's a rumor and it's been stated as a rumor in all the articles that have been said. And it's basically stated that like, she's just been offered the role. But even in that, I kind of find like casting rumors to be unnecessary because I would rather just hear about the casting news rather than a rumor. Because the rumor is trying to get people excited. Like, oh my gosh, if Margot Robbie is in like a DC film and in a Marvel film, you know? But me personally, I just kind of think that this rumor in particular, I could do without it since Margot is already like a well-known, um, extremely hardworking and extremely talented actress. And as much as I would love to see her in Marvel... I think that a lot of times when you see talented actors join Marvel films, it's kind of like, yay, but also like, oh my gosh, set yourself free. <laughs> like, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, don't <laughs> sign the contract. So I kind of want to get your opinion on it. Like, what do you feel about casting rumors? Like, what do you think about Marvel Robbie possibly joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, I mean, I feel like actors like cross, um, you know, cross the line between Marvel and DC all the time. Uh, I don't think it's... <laughs> uncommon like we've had many many mm-hmm. actors like do both um so they're doing another fantastic four movie is that yes that's because that, oh, no. it's like they keep failing and failing and failing i don't know i don't know what's going on with fantastic four because it I is a good like, it is a good franchise like it has potential it is yeah and marvel bought well disney bought fox and marvel is moving forward with x-men there's no like set date for it but it's going to happen so i guess you know, Marvel's kind of being like, oh, you know those, like, old DC movies y'all know from, like, back then? Forget about them. They don't exist. They don't matter. <laughs> it's kind of like the Watchmen film that Zack Snyder directed in 2009. No one needs to acknowledge that anymore because Watchmen, the HBO series, exist. And that, of course, like, is much better than the 2009 film. So I feel like Marvel's kind of, like, retconning all the past, like, bad superhero movies so that, you know, they can make big bucks. You know? Uh, I would disagree. I think yeah. the the Watchmen film is amazing. I think I haven't really I haven't watched the the, the TV show, but I think the the film is really mm. great. I'm not a huge Snyder fan though, like, but I think mm-hmm. Watchmen is a good ad- adaptation of the graphic novel. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I I'm I'm sort of torn with with all this new Marvel DC stuff that's coming out because it is very hidden miss. I, I find like mm-hmm. and a lot of misses uh, recently, and I haven't really seen a decent superhero movie in a while. Mm, okay, no. What, what do you think, Conrad? No, I'm the same. I I struggle with the both Marvel and especially DC, and a lot of times I I tend to walk out of the theater after about twenty minutes because. There's just a lot of CGI flying around and no human characters that I care about particularly. <laughs> um, so, and that's only since Endgame. After Endgame, I, I was hooked into it until then, but since then, I've struggled to be honest. Yeah. I feel bad for actors with these casting rumors, though. So, mm. I was reading—I can't remember which actor it was—but she was saying that um, people keep asking her to sign books. 
mm-hmm. because they think that she's going to be in the adaptation of it and it's just a rumor and she hasn't signed a contract and she doesn't right. think it's right that she should sign books for movies that she's not in yeah or yeah. haven't been announced it's uh-huh. i don't know i think it's a bit much mm. <laughs> yeah yeah so i feel like we all agree that um casting rumors maybe not the best thing i mean it's not something you can really escape because people yeah. like to you know hype things up for like new films production and also like fan culture just cannot like they can't stop themselves from getting excited about yeah. certain mm. things so it's not really something that's gonna kind of go away so mm. no. i definitely yeah. agree with you guys on that point i do have to say i'm the kind of marvel fan where any movie that comes out, I'm just like, ooh, shiny. <laughs> like, <laughs> fun. <Okay>. Honestly. <laughs> kind of like, I show- yeah, I'm the same. I'm, 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 I, I, I get disappointed, <laughs> but I still watch them. Which is, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I'm the kind of person where I'll watch a movie and I'll go see it. It's like, oh, this is great. It's amazing. I have so much fun. And then I'll read the reviews and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this plot point didn't make any sense because da 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 da. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I see your point, but also like I had a pretty good time. So, <laughs> I mean, point made, but also like you're kind of wrong because like, why are you trying to kill my fun? You know, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's the joy of movies, though. Like, you can you can like mm-hmm. go with critics or fan uh, like reactions to things, or read Rotten Tomatoes or like IMDb mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But you know, it's all about personal taste. Like, if you like the movie, you like yeah. the movie. Who cares? You know. Yeah, that's how I felt about Venom when it first came out. I was like. I actually saw that movie like three times in theaters and I don't oh, rewatch wow. movies at all. <laughs> like I don't right. like rewatching movies. It's like something that I find annoying. Cause it's like, if I've already seen it and I know it's going to happen, I don't need to see it again. But something about that movie, the fact that it was like, it was bad and I could see that it was bad, but I just enjoyed <laughs> it so much. Right. Like I was in the theater. I was like, this is actually a fun time. And Tom Hardy, you know, he's that kind of actor. I know him for Peaky Blinders. You know, you know, oh, like right. masculine kind of roles and him being like this guy who's like sweaty and swimming in a lobster tank and being chased <laughs> around by like the inky like thing from Spider-Man 3. It's kind of like this is hijinks and shenanigans <laughs> and I'm here for it. Like this is so much fun. I don't know why. Like this fight scene with him in his apartment. I was like, oh, shit. This is like me thinking about the fight scene in his apartment in venom is the same way i think about the fight scene in the stairwell with daredevil have you guys ever seen the daredevil show that was on netflix yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> your size kind of like i've seen it i do not wish to discuss it but <laughs> <laughs> uh, daredevil was great like the first couple of seasons were really good but i don't know it, it kind mm. of yeah after a while the seasons got I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I find that's what happens with a lot of these like franchises. They start off really, really strong, and then they kind mm-hmm. of don't know where they're going after that, and then it, it just yeah. doesn't seem to work. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, Venom was fun. Yeah. I, I thought the CGI was pretty amazing. Like I, I have never seen it like that before. Um, but mm-hmm. I did find the editing really choppy in that movie. Like it yeah. kind of. Like keep jumping to new scenes way sooner than it. I really wish that they'd released the original cut of what it was because apparently that's mm-hmm. much better. But I don't know. What did you think of the second one? 
I actually haven't seen the second one yet. Uh. <laughs> I'm, I'm very bad at keeping up with films. This is why my podcast is called I've Been Meaning to Watch That. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me to keep up with new releases, I'm sorry, I will fail you each time. Like, it's just each time I see a movie that comes out in theaters, I'm like, oh, I want to see it so bad. I want to see it in theaters. And next thing I know, it is on digital in Blu ray. And I'm like, no, what do you mean? Yeah. How does this happen? So, yeah. I, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I'm really slow mm-hmm. on on new films. Whereas Conrad, you, you've got like a a pass, right? So you you're you're always up to date. Yeah, I've got an all you can eat pass at my local cinema, so I'm I'm going there pretty much every weekend. But, I love uh, it. Yeah, it's yeah, great. it's good. But I see a lot of crap and walk out. But because I've got an all you can eat card, I don't feel bad about going just walking out because I haven't actually paid for individual tickets. I've just paid a monthly oh. subscription. So yeah, okay. But that's maybe so that's cool. a a false <laughs> a false thing I'm telling myself. That mm. is awesome. I need to look that up in the states where I am. And you know, speaking of Daredevil. I have been keeping up with the writer strike that's going on currently. And of sure. course there have been a lot of like um, movies and TV shows that have been either put on hold or just kind of canceled in the wake of the writer strike. And, you know, a lot of morning shows, talk shows, like late night talk shows have been put on hold. SNL has been put on hold indefinitely and so on and so wow. forth. And I remember seeing like some news around blade because that movie no one knows when it's going to come out. It's a, I think they actually did start filming. And there was some casting news that came out recently. Um, I'm going to say her name wrong, but I think her first name is Mia. She is the actress from X. And Oh, Mia Goth. Um, Mia Goth, yes. She was actually cast in Blade. I know that news um, was released oh, wow. recently. And I know that was like a huge thing on Twitter. Like all the people I follow on film Twitter were like super excited because they love X and they love Pearl, which I do too. I love both of those movies as well. But um, yeah. because of the writer's strike, uh, Blade has been put on hold in terms of filming and production, which I'm not surprised by because they recently had to get a new director for Blade, right? Uh-huh. Or they had to like kind of switch up. Yeah, they had to get a new director or a new writer for the film, I believe. Oh, so wow. it being put in hold for the writer strike is kind of like unfortunate news. And of course, it's it's that thing where um, I've seen this a lot. There have been a lot of uh, there have been a lot of like you know Washington Post. Um, NPR, they'll release these articles about like, oh, your favorite movie's put on hold because of writer's strike as a way to kind of like enrage like fandoms to kind of like get them to be upset about the writer's strike, which I find is like in bad faith because we should be supporting writers right now while they're on strike because they're trying to get paid more to do streaming. But have you guys heard anything else in terms of like the writer's strike or like seen any news about your favorite shows being canceled or put on hold, anything like that? I saw Severance has stopped filming oh, season yeah, yeah, yeah. two. Severance. Yeah, oh, no. I, I was really sad about that because <laughs> the cliffhanger know, at the right? end of season oh. one. <laughs> yeah, that cliffhanger. I'm, I'm desperate to see more of that, but yeah, they've shut down because they obviously oh. they're writing the episodes as they go. So yeah, right. Huh. That's a shame. I'm sure yeah. it's affecting loads of things now. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And. I am actually, um, I'm very happy that there's been a lot of support behind the writer's strike. Uh, 
And I'm kind of like someone who is like, I want to be an optimist, but I'm also a little bit of like a pessimist sometimes where I see all the support, like this outpouring, like wave of support towards the people who are on strike right now. Seeing like celebrities, like going to the picket lines, you know, um, Nisi Nash singing uh, karaoke, Seth Meyers being out there and so many other people just like supporting them wholeheartedly. And I think that's great. I just hope that it doesn't die down because like, it makes me think of the beginning of the pandemic where um, all the celebrities saying imagine in that video <laughs> and there were people yeah. like talking about wash your hands and like John Krasinski having his good news morning show, which he eventually like sold to like a different company. But um, I want to be like hopeful and optimistic that like this continues on and people stay strong and that uh, the writers can negotiate um a great deal so they can get paid a good amount because streaming services make a lot of money off of these television shows and writers do not make as much as they used to. Cause when you do, when they did, um, what is it? It's not re- revivals or renewals, like reruns. I'm not sure exactly, I guess, okay. but basically like the rerun checks that they get when they kind of like show like if, oh residuals yeah residuals yeah Mm, so let's say for instance family guy that's showing on fox but they do Mm. reruns on tbs so the residual checks are sent to the writers of family guy and there have been people who talked about like i remember i saw this tiktok video this one guy he wrote this successful tv movie um and he got like almost a hundred thousand dollars in residual checks because it was showing on different um channels and he said that if the movie was sold to netflix he would have probably got in twenty five hundred dollars in residual checks and it kind of shows this huge difference this huge contrast when it comes to things being created for television for cable and things being created for streaming because even though with streaming you have more freedom to kind of make the shows you want to make because orange is the new black could not be shown on tbs like mm. not in the full way that it was made on Netflix, but definitely not. Suffice it to say, like writers probably wouldn't be paid the same amount whether it was shown on TBS and Netflix. So mm. I'm really just hoping that they get their fair share and they negotiate a good price, and that people don't lose steam when they start seeing how many of their shows get canceled and how many of those movies get put on hold because this isn't going to go on for like a month or so it's going to go on for a while and the effect when people see like the true effect behind a writer strike it's really gonna open people's eyes to how important writers are but also show put like put their um money where their mouth is you know what i mean Mm. yeah yeah i hope Mm -hmm. so there's so little transparency as well because you know you can't see ratings for netflix shows you don't know how much your show is being watched and mm-hmm. and rerun effectively mm. whereas yeah. on cable you can so i don't know how, uh, it must be that they're just given like a one-up fee and then they've just got to trust that they're getting their fair share and i bet they're mm-hmm. not i bet they're not yeah hmm. that's very true i remember i saw an article saying that um there's a show on netflix about this kid who I think he had like autism or Asperger's atypical. That was a show. And there was this tweet that kind of said like this ridiculous number, like atypical has been streamed on Netflix for over like 800,000 times. And I saw, and I was like, that's impossible. Cause I don't know anybody who's seen the show. So that's a good show. I liked it. 
Really? Yeah, it's a good show. I'm going to be honest. I don't really watch a lot of teen shows on Netflix. I feel like the only one I watched is Outer Banks and Stranger Things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the other ones I haven't watched yet. And the movies I haven't really seen except Moxie or Do Revenge. Do Revenge was very, very good. That was great. Maya Hawk. Yes. It was such Maya a Huck great, is her mother. amazing <laughs> tribute to the 90s and early 2000s. Yes. It was, yeah, it was a mind decay. Yeah. And I feel like, oh, also on Do Revenge, um, I am a strong believer that, like, actors aren't really bad actors. You know what I mean? Like, if you see an actor in a bad movie or a bad TV show, that doesn't mean that they suck. It's probably just the writing. And I'm glad yeah. that... Do Revenge made my point exactly because Camila Mendez is was phenomenal in Do Revenge and Riverdale is a shit show. There's no other way I can describe it. It's <laughs> it's a mess. It is an absolute mess. I don't know why the CW keeps running that show. It's running it into the ground. Like I don't know how this the CW doesn't even make any money off their shows anyway. They haven't been profitable since they became the CW. So the fact that the show still exists on air is ridiculous. I'm glad that's on its last season, but I'm glad that Camila Mendez like was able to kind of able to show her talent and strengths into revenge because she's awesome. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I, I'd agree. If you ever see an actor and you think, gosh, their performance is terrible. It's usually just because they cannot make the lines work. No yeah. matter how you try, the lines are so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly that. Okay. And um, there is one little piece of news that I wanted to bring up because I am something. I used to be a huge Supernatural fan when I was younger. Have you guys yeah. ever heard of Supernatural? Yeah, I loved it. I, I watched it like oh, cool. I don't. They keep making more seasons, so I couldn't keep up. It's like what? It's like twelve seasons or something. Is it more than that? Um, they ended at fifteen. Fifteen. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think I got yeah. up to maybe season nine or ten, and then I just mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. It kind of did get a mm-hmm. bit repetitive though. Yes, you are right. You are right. Um, but there was a spinoff for Supernatural called The Winchesters, and now it's canceled All at right. the CW. And right. I'm very. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like the writer's strike. Oh, all these shows are getting canceled. At least you would show that you never wanted to have it get canceled. It's like you know what. You know what? You made a good choice this time. This time right. you made a pretty good choice. <laughs> was it that bad? And it. Well, that's the thing. I didn't watch the show. Oh, okay, I never yeah. even like really gave it a chance. But like, it's on the CW, right? So <laughs> I really don't know how much leeway you can give. Like, the CW does have good TV shows sometimes. You know, like I would say Jane the Virgin, um, Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Uh, oh, if you yeah. want to say Vampire Diaries, I haven't seen that, but a lot of people love that show. So I'll give them that one. But um, in terms of spinoffs, it's never really a surefire fit. Yeah, it's never right. really a hit so i'm actually very excited about that because the evil has been defeated and i know that jensen ackles has already started on his uh save winchesters and i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna attempt to make a joke i'm just gonna let him you know beg for his show back but he's fine you know he was on the boys he'll be in a superhero movie in the next three years so oh, yeah. he doesn't really need the show you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, the superhero thing is going to happen regardless. Like, he's Jensen Ackles. They wanted him to play Arrow, and then they got Jeremy Runner instead. Which, okay, but we'll see soon enough. Okay, 
Um, I think that was all for the can't wait to watch. So we're just going to jump right into uh, the meat and the potatoes of this podcast and touch on horror films that were box office flops and are now cult classics. I know that um, we all have uh, one film that we're going to touch on today. Uh, is there anyone who is dying to go first? Because I would love to hear like either one of you jump into one of your films because you both picked movies that I actually haven't seen before. Mm. I think I have seen Near Dark, but it may have been some time. But I would love to hear you guys talk about, you know, your films and like what you love about them. Do you want to go first with Near Dark, Dan? Um, Sure, sure. All right. Yeah, so yeah, I picked Near Dark. Uh, It's uh, written by Catherine Bigelow and Eric Freed and... uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow. It's actually her first solo directorial uh, debut. Like, I think Mm -hmm. she co-directed a film before um, called The Loveless um, with Monty Montgomery. Um, But so Mm -hmm. Near Dark is her first solo film. Um, Catherine Bigelow... She's huge now. You know, she she uh, she won an Oscar for Hurt Locker. Uh, was it yeah. Hurt Locker that she won an Oscar for? Uh, and yeah, it was. She did Zero Dark Thirty and, and Detroit mm-hmm. um, and other movies like um, Point Break is a classic. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we've covered her on our podcast uh, for Strange Days, uh, which is mm-hmm. that kind of weird sci-fi film. Um, but, yeah, Near Dark was her first film. It's a, it's a genre film. It's a it's a horror, but not really. Like it's it's vampires, but not mm. kind of like they really sort of um, simplified the whole vampire mm. aspect of it. So they they do need to drink blood to survive. They are immortal, and they do you know burn up in sunlight. But that's it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else. So it is much more of a sort of a road movie, uh, was kind of a coming-of-age uh, drama, family drama, um, kind of similar. I found it similar to movies um, by Zob- uh, Rob Zombie. So mm. you've got essentially bad people, but they're the main characters that you follow. Um, so, yeah, so the, it follows the main character, which is Caleb, um, played by Adrian Pazdar, um, mm-hmm. who I, I'm afraid I only know him from Heroes, um, and Nathan, <laughs> Nathan Petrelli, he's the, uh-huh. it's the only other thing I've ever seen him in. Um, but he's like a 20 something or teenager uh, in this movie. And he gets bitten by this girl, May, um, and turned into a vampire and then sort of abducted by this, uh, motley crew family of vampires. And they start sort of traveling around sort of the Midwest, Oklahoma, Texas, um, states and um yeah killing people so that's that's essentially the, the movie but it was a huge flop when it came out massive flop mm-hmm. i think it cost um five million to make and it mm-hmm. only brought in three million so not even oh. the cost of the movie so t- oh. tiny tiny box office return uh, box office returns uh, but it was a very 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 independent low budget movie uh, and it did come out at the same time as the lost boys which was oh. a huge success um, yeah. <laughs> bad and timing. unfortunate yeah bad timing bad <laughs> timing i think the lost boys is warner brothers so it had a much more marketing promo uh, with that yeah. movie um mm-hmm. and it was it was a different type of movie as well the lost boys was much more 
fun and um, more sort of focused on, on teenagers, whereas mm-hmm. Near Dark is pretty dreary, uh, quite sort of nihilistic <laughs> and sort of um, following people that are kind of the scum of society and they're, they're yeah, kind of gritty. just make getting by with whatever they can um, and also not shying away from showing like extreme violence as well. Um, but great performances by Lance Hendrickson and um, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton mm. is incredible in this movie. Mm. It's oh, a bit okay. of an Aliens reunion, isn't it? Because Vasquez is yeah. in there too, Jeanette Goldstein. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So it's got three actors from Aliens. Um, and, and so they really know each other. So this family of vampires, you really feel this connection between them, um, this kind of almost like nuclear family. Um, you've got the, the the mom and the dad and like th- these kids essentially. Um, they're all from different backgrounds, but they've all come together as vampires. And yeah, you do feel this sort of connection between all of these actors and as characters as well. And I think they, they really did stay in character, when the, even when they weren't shooting, I remember I, I saw an interview with Lance Hendrickson, and he he grew his like a, his nails. He got these kind of acrylic nails like stuck <laughs> onto his, his 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 fingernails, and then he like pulled them off with pliers to make them really gnarly and disgusting. And he lost oh, no. like heaps of weight <laughs> for the movie to look really gaunt. Um, oh, wow. So like they really committed to the smell, <laughs> um, and he would really stay in character. I think he he. He, um, I think he picked up a hitchhiker or something at one point. He was saying how he stayed in character with the hitchhiker and got up to roll a cigarette, and the hitchhiker was really freaked out um, by <laughs> by how he was sort of acting. So yeah, they really committed to this film. Yeah, wow. that's amazing. When did you first watch this movie? Uh, I didn't watch it when it came out. So it came out in uh, 1987, uh, but I watched it well into my 20s, like in the 2000s sometime. Um, and I, I don't really remember it because I watched it again recently for for this recording. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't really remember the second half of that movie. It, it, it's quite a slow movie as well. Like um, there is action in it, but it's not all mm-hmm. the time. It's only in certain parts. Um, okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay, wow. That is – that's really cool because I actually am a pretty big Catherine Bigelow fan, but I – have heard of Near Dark. I've just never really watched it. And I never really see people talk about Near Dark either when yeah. we talk about Catherine Bigelow. So I, when you mentioned that in the email, I was kind of like, oh, that's one of her movies? I didn't even know that she she did a vampire film. That's yeah, yeah. actually really awesome. Because she's really known for all her sort of gritty, um, like, um, true story adaptations yeah. now mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of uh, either war um, themed or uh, yeah. to do with like, like Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, or to do with human rights like Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so all of her kind of previous genre films like Near Dark, Blue Steel uh, mm-hmm. and Strange Days do get kind of forgotten because they are a little bit different. They're not – they're mm-hmm. all – First of all, they were genre films, um, so they're not based in reality, really, um, mm-hmm. but still really gritty. Like, even yeah. her first film, Near Dark, has so much complexity and depth 
uh, with the characters yes. and and the story and and just morality and mortality as well and ex- existential themes as well. So it's yeah, there's still so much meat on her films, even if they are just like oh, it's a vampire film, but it's not mm-hmm. just a vampire film. Yeah. I do have to say, I love Catherine Bigelow because as a female director, she really does have her own style when it comes to directing. And I love it so much when directors have like their first film is like this indie movie they made. It is kind of like not well known, obscure, kind of underground. And like for the few people that are like huge fans of their of this director they know it they love it and like whenever people mention like oh this is like my favorite movie from this a director like for me spike lee a lot of people um you know they say do the right thing and you know they'll say like you know a number of other films because spike lee has a very long career and for me i love um his first film that he made um wow about nola darling i forget the the title of the film. I know there's a Netflix show about it too. I was about to say she's all that. No, she's got to have it. That's it, I believe. Yeah, she's got to right. have it. That's the name of the movie. And it was his first film, like his first feature length film. He made a short film before that, but this is his first feature length film. It is from the point of view of a woman. And I found the movie so interesting and just completely different from any other film that I've seen because it was the first movie that I'd seen where like a black woman is like embracing her sexuality and being her own person. And she's all these like different love partners around her. And when it was becoming a show, not a lot of people knew that Spike Lee had made this film. So I love it when directors kind of have like their first movie that they make and they're kind of just like, I'm just going to go in. I'm going to make this. It's going to be different. It's not going to be like what other people know. And I prefer those kind of films that are like commercial flops, but they have something to say or they're just kind of like just different from the mainstream, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I also mm-hmm. find like with a lot of big directors, like their first films always seem to be genre films, and especially horror films for some reason. Yeah. And I really <laughs> love that. Like James Cameron yeah. and all those other big directors always start off with like a horror film for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, horror movies don't even get the don't even get like the appreciation that they deserve because a lot of um, film, I guess themes of film and like schematics you see in other movies you get from horror films and so many people everybody watches horror movies you know if if you don't like being scared you don't watch horror movies but like everybody watches horror movies and any director can pull out their favorite horror movie and talk about how that inspired them to become a director like the shining or halloween or any other classic horror movie that you have seen and it i'm glad that we're talking about like horror movies that are flops because I feel like people think that you can make a horror movie as long as it's scary, there's a villain, and someone dies. And that's all that needs to happen. But I like a little bit of, like, I like like a little something extra in my horror movies, you know? Like, some depth, something that, like, matters. Something that makes you, like, think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And something stylish, too, which Near Dark is. I mean, especially it's got a really great soundtrack by Tangerine Dream. Tangerine Dream. Yeah, oh, cool. the Tangerine Dream. I mean, I don't know. I love Tangerine Dream doing soundtracks because they they did they did a Firestarter. Is that right? Mm-hmm. As well, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always have this kind of like nostalgic, moody because it's all synthy stuff as well. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of eighties inspired, um, but a lot of guitars, 
but just it, it really sets that tone um, that is kind of still current as well uh, without mm. sounding too retro. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, also, the visual aesthetic of the film um, is is incredible. So it's got the same uh, cinematographer as as Terminator, the Terminator movies. Um, I can't remember oh, his name. Um, it's Dean Cundy. Uh, it's Adam Greenberg. Um, so oh, he's a Polish yeah. um, cinematographer, DP. But he did, like, Terminator, Terminator 2, um, and um, Sphere. So he, he's got that sort of really gritty look um, to, to his, the way he films. And this movie really does suit that. Like, the, it really shows this kind of the underground of, of society in, in, like, the Midwest of, of America. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you pick um, Near Dark to talk about the podcast? Like, uh, this I mean- movie... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's not talked about enough. I think uh, like there's a lot of you know cult classics like The Thing and and like mm-hmm. Donnie Darko and everyone yeah. talks about those movies. Like yeah, yeah <laughs> we, we get it. They're they're cult classics. That, that's yeah. right. But like Near Dark really isn't talked about enough. And like I I think there needs to be more female directors as well. And like Catherine mm-hmm. Bigelow really did pave the way. She's like incredible, and she goes from strength to, to strength with all of her films. Um, mm-hmm. And and I, I think we should, yeah, we should get more female directors seen and heard. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to say, like Catherine Bigelow and Sofia Coppola, they are two female directors that. I feel like if you're a film nerd, you kind of know them and you recognize, like, of course, their discography and everything like that. And I am so happy that there are a lot more female directors on the scene. Like, of course, Ava DuVernay, Dee Rees, and um, Gina Prince by the Wood, and so many others, like Chloe Zhao, Emerald yeah. Semmel, I think it's her name. Like, there are so many more now than there were before of course because Catherine Bigelow was making films back in like the 90s and now we have like so many more female directors and female directors getting like so much press and shine and like time in the spotlight and I think that's amazing and I definitely agree with you I was like I'm very glad that you told me a little bit more about Near Dark because I'm not usually uh a bloody gory kind of person when it comes to horror movies but i might give it a shot from what you told me it does sound interesting yeah i mean i yeah. would i would approach it like it's it's much more of a drama than a horror movie mm-hmm. like it, it was it's been described as a neo-western uh, mm-hmm. so it is much, it's kind of like a western but a drama um, and mm-hmm. it, it's much more about characters rather than gore although yeah there are some pretty gory scenes yeah um, <laughs> the, the bar scene is is like yeah it's it's something you have to watch to really uh, believe uh, but mm-hmm. bill paxton is a standout he's just so good in this movie mm-hmm. like i i don't think i've ever seen him play this type of character to that to that extreme mm-hmm. as well like he really goes all out um I think he he said that um, because it was a pretty grueling shoot. I think they only filmed over like 40, 40 days or something. It wasn't it wasn't long, and it was freezing. It was apparently in the middle of the winter, and they had it, it was set in summer. So everyone was walking around mm-hmm. with t-shirts, and short sleeves oh. on, and it was freezing. <laughs> so um, there are some scenes where they're outside and they can't show their breath. So they, mm-hmm. all the actors had to put ice cubes in their mouth before they shot the scene so that their 
they wouldn't have breath coming out of their mouths. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is like incredible. But um, yeah, so it was a pretty grueling shoot and, and the, the characters really did develop a, a strong bond with, with each other. Um, and I think Bill Paxson at one point said that he was really tired because it was all night shoots as well. So they're sleeping mm-hmm. during the day. They're, they're essentially living the life of vampires, uh, sleeping during the day, filming all at night, going to bed at 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, and, and Bill Paxton was saying he was really, really tired at one point. And so they got they gave him a shot of, like, B12, and it was just, like, taking speed or something. He's like, yeah, I'm ready. And, like, and then they shot the, the bar scene. And it's like, yeah, he's, he's on something. <laughs> Didn't Madonna do that to Justin Timberlake once? Really? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. When they were working on that song, Four Minutes to Save the World or whatever it was called, he said that he was tired and needed to take a break. And I think she wrestled him to the ground and injected him with B12. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's the trick, apparently. She's demanding. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to say about New Dark? Because I... I feel like you've covered so much about it, but yeah, I mean, it's- yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, the only thing I guess have you have you seen movies like um, True Romance, Wild at Heart, Natural Born Killers? I've I think I've seen Natural Born Killers. The other two I've just heard of. Yeah, heard of it's very similar mm-hmm. to those kind of movies. So, so does it, sort of road movies with kind of outlaws, you know, escaping. Uh, the law and, and 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 love and family and that sort of thing. Of so, yeah, but it kind of it really challenges your your sort of idea of well, who is good and who is bad because the main characters mm-hmm. are not good people, but we're right. following them at the same time. You still see have a sense of empathy towards them, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. Mm. Oh. I do enjoy that. I like it when movies have um, the main character not be someone who is like a set protagonist. You know, I like movies better when the person that you're following and like the story, the journey they're going on is one of like, ooh, I don't know if I should be rooting for you or not, but like we're on this journey together and those are a lot more fun. Yeah, like, those, yeah definitely. I enjoy those a lot more. So, yeah. That is awesome. Thank you anyway. so much for. Sure. I'm going to add that to Near Dark. <laughs> I'm going to have to try and find that on streaming somewhere. I don't know if I'll have to rent it on YouTube or like maybe it's on Amazon Prime or something like that. But I definitely have to go check that out. I do yeah. love um, watching like a movie that no one really knows about and just like holding it in my heart and be like, this is mine. Like, this is my little thing. <laughs> like, no one else can touch it. No one else can go near it. So thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. I- I did want to kind of jump into Annihilation because we're yeah, talking about sure. like, female directors and Annihilation, you know, it's a film following four uh, female scientists. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Annihilation, it is basically a sci-fi movie directed and written by Alex Garland. And you may know Alex Garland from Ex Machina and also from different other films he's done. He's a really great director. And, mm. um, and writer. This, and writer. Great director and writer. Honestly, phenomenal person all around extremely talented and when annihilation first came out of course like natalie portman was a huge draw to the movie because she is a great actress but everybody this movie is so good and i was just like i remember i remember seeing this uh trailer come up um like in my youtube ads and i was so intrigued by it because i had no idea what was going on in this movie and i went to go see it and one thing I love the most is when I go see a movie in a theater and no one else is there. 
that is <laughs> that is my personal like heaven to me like i will avoid seeing very popular movies because i know the second i walk into the movie theater everyone's there like all these people are coming in and out trying to find seats and i have to sit here in my little corner seat in the back like waiting to see if like a family's gonna sit next to me or something like that but like when i walk into a movie theater i'm usually late and i walk in the middle of the previews there's no one else there i'm like this is awesome this is great because <laughs> i don't mind being the only person in the movie theater i'm there to have fun i'm there to you know I have had to be by myself. It's fine. And when I went yeah. to see Annihilation, uh, it was just me and like a few other people. I think someone who worked in a movie theater was watching the film as well. Um, and I was just like, cool, dope, whatever. And I remember watching it in theaters is honestly a much better experience because when I rewatched it at home, it didn't feel the same because yeah. this movie is quite trippy you know yeah. if you're listening to the podcast you haven't seen the film i'm gonna try to give like a brief overview um basically the film follows lena she uh, that's natalie parma's character she is a biology professor she's an army veteran and her husband has been missing or dead from the beginning of the movie you don't really know where he is but he's not there and he suddenly shows up and he's not acting like himself. I'm not going to lie, but she was painting her bedroom and we see him move in the background. I was like, ghost? <laughs> I was like, right, no, yeah. it's a person. Like, <laughs> it's a person there. And we soon find out that Kane went on um, a mission because there was a meteor that struck a lighthouse near the coast of Florida, I believe it was. They don't really see the location of where the meteor hit but it's basically like on the coast near the ocean so i just assume florida and um lena meets a psychologist named dr ventrist um she starts asking her questions about her husband and she starts asking her um she starts telling her about the falling meteor and what they've been absorbing observing what they've been seeing and basically Lena wants to join them on the mission. She wants to go and see what has happened. She wants to go, you know, she wants to leave Area X and go into the Shimmer, so to speak. And so she's going. It's her and it's Dr. Ventress. It is um, Cass. It is Anya. Anya is played by Tessa. No. Yeah, Tessa Thompson. And then Radic, Josie Radic. No, Josie is played by Tessa Thompson. Anya is played by Gina Rodriguez. And so the four of them go into the Shimmer. First things first, they forget how long they've been in there. <laughs> like, they enter in, they cross over, and suddenly Natalie Portman wakes up, and they're like, how long have we been in here? And then Shepard is looking at the rations. It's like, we've been here three to four days. No one remembers anything. It's like, okay, fine. They're trying to figure out where they need to go, what they need to do. First things first, comms at work compass doesn't work so what do we do how are we going to explore this um they start kind of walking around exploring the wildlife and um they soon discover and realize that the dna in the kind of shimmer or like basically the area in which the meteor has hit and surrounding them, it is kind of intermixing with the wildlife. And what they realize is that the shimmer um, distorts information like a prism refracts light. So the um, animals like the mutant bear that they see and the alligator that, that attacked Josie, they are basically mutated by the effects of the shimmer and they're kind of figuring out like what do we do how do we handle this and 
I remember watching the movie and first of all thinking like, okay, this is supposed to be a horror movie, but this is not exactly a horror movie. Like this is like science, horror, sci-fi, like there's a lot going on. And then there's like the mm. human aspect of the film as well. Cause we learn a lot about the other uh, scientists in the, in the group. We learned that um, of course we know Lena has a very strained relationship with her husband, the great Oscar Isaac. Um, <laughs> we learn that Josie Raddick uh, has um, problems with depression and, you know, managing that in ways that are um, self-destructive to herself. All these women have self-destructive tendencies, so to speak. Like um, Anya, who's played by Gina Rodriguez, she's an addict. Cassie Shepard, she recently lost someone. And Dr. Ventress has no home, no family, no kids, no husband, basically no one to go home to. So she has kind of dived herself into her work. And you just see this group of women go into this place where they literally have nothing else to lose. And they are in an environment where like, it will literally kind of change them and like mutate them, so to speak. And this movie, um, it's definitely one that has stuck with me for a long time. And I was very upset when I watched this movie and no one else like actually like watched the movie or talked about how amazing and awesome this is. It's one of those movies that's like so good, but it kind of flies under the radar, you know? And when that happens, I kind of get like a little upset, but it's also kind of like, ooh, it's my little precious thing. Like I enjoy this. I love this so much. But um, mm. there's so many interesting aspects to this film. Like not even the ending, but just like the bear. Like the bear yeah. in the film. I don't know if you guys that have is seen. Terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I have seen a lot of people say a lot of things about the bear and what it represents and what it is. And I don't know like what its problem was, but like <laughs> it was just kind of like, you know, big, scary. And of course it's like a predator. But then when we see that scene where Anya ties up Dr. Ventress, Lent, Lena, and Raddick. And then you hear Cassie screaming. Immediately, like, we know it's not Cassie because we saw her body. Lena saw her body. She discovered her body. But Anya doesn't believe Lena because Lena withheld the fact that her husband went on the trip, went on the, not trip, the mission before they did, and that he was one of the people that kind of went mad as they have assume the other military groups did because before the scientists went in there are military groups going in to figure out what's going on here to try and figure out is the shimmer an alien or is it a weapon like is this here to hurt us or should we like study it so of course the military goes first to try to figure out if it's a threat to us and then the scientists go in to try and figure out like what is it exactly and try to define how it's going to hurt us or help us because like dr venture said in the beginning of the film it will consume everything it's just moving and the border is expanding and we have to figure out a way to like stop it or contain it in some kind of way. And so with the bear circling back to that, I don't know what it is. Like, obviously it can record and replay emotion. So I guess it feeds off of emotion. That's what I've seen some reviewers say, but I don't really know what the bear it's supposed to be maybe i'm reading too deeply into it but i kind of want to get you guys thoughts on it because i was trying to do like a little bit of like research on it and like people have different ideas behind the bear but i want to see what you say because it was very scary to me 
Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it represents. It's 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 yeah. absolutely terrifying because. <laughs> Yeah, it's all part of this thing where they're sort of sharing genes and 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 things are mutating and taking on the features of other things that are inside mm-hmm. the shimmer. And to have a bear that preys upon one of the uh, team members and and kills her, and then mm-hmm. when it comes back again and is sniffing around the ladies that are tied to the chair, mm-hmm. and it's screaming and making the noises that they're that the team member was making as mm. as she was being savaged and died mm-hmm. it's everything about it is just so deeply deeply disturbing and upsetting and it, yeah it's stayed with me ever since that and the finale of the movie have yeah, stayed with me ever since yeah yeah um i've seen a lot of people say that the film is like um a metaphor for cancer because mm. you know, Doctor Ventress uh, is never really. It's stated by someone else in the film, but she never says that she has cancer. But someone else in the film says like she has cancer, and like they said, Selena is like, oh, and you already know that. And I was kind of saying like, when did she know that? When was that established? But I see, I've seen a lot of like analysis behind the movie, and it makes sense that like the theme is of cancer because in the very beginning, Marlena is giving her lecture at John Hopkins. She talks about cell divisions, how cells rapidly divide and mutate. And you see when she's studying any of the plants in the shimmers, like kind of zone, she's studying it through the microscope. It's dividing. And the cell, when it splits up, it's so different. It's like reacting so differently from like the normal cell and the way that it mutates and the, plant structures that are like humans and they're mm. kind of grown into people it's oh my gosh it was so when i saw josie just like disappear i was just kind of like oh so is she like a plant now like does she get <laughs> like does she surrender herself to the shimmer or like does she kind of like say bye-bye like does she like peace out i i feel like <laughs> A lot of things in this movie are open to interpretation, especially the ending, you know, because I'm still trying to figure out how did Dr. Ventress get to the lighthouse before Lena did? Like, when did she make her trek there? And then when she like, I don't know how to say this, explodes or like dissolves into like light and like fractures of light and then becomes the shimmer, so to speak, the embodiment of the shimmer. It's like, oh, wow, this is... This is a lot. Like, this is the thing that's controlling it. This is the thing that came in the meteor and kind of trying to, like, figure out what is this thing? What does it represent? What does it mean? What happened to Lena? Like, what happened to her husband? Because I knew, because I already had seen the movie. Well, when I first saw the movie and I first saw her husband, I was like, this isn't her husband. Because if it was her husband, he would have kissed her back. This guy is being weird. And I knew it was an alien movie. So it's like, oh, he's an alien. He's a clone. Obviously, that makes sense. But then, like, watching how he just um, annihilates himself in the ending, it's it's kind of like, okay, wow, yikes. Because time works differently in The Shimmer. Because she is being, right, she's being interrogated by Benedict Wong. And he basically said, oh, you were in there for four months. And she's like, no, we were there for like days or weeks. And Lena, Lena, she thought that her husband was gone for like a year. He probably thought he was in the shimmer for like five years. 
yeah we can so time works differently there and also she's the narrator but she's an unreliable narrator because she's telling it from from her perspective but we don't even know if we can really trust her from like what she's seen there everything is so trippy overall Mm. and also honestly this is my opinion and i'm gonna stand by this i do believe that it is actually lena who escaped like it's like her her but she was so she was in the shimmer for like four months. She's mutated. Like there's something different about her. She's carried on some kind of genes. Like I don't know if her intestines move like worms, like they did with that one guy they cut open in that video. But she's not the same. I don't think she's the shimmer. I feel like when the shimmer was like holding her down on the door, possibly it like imprinted on her or like photocopied itself to her. I don't know. I don't know what the science words like the scientific <laughs> wording is, but. It's her, but it's not her. But it's not the Shimmer. It's not her clone, but it's still her. Now, Oscar Isaac, that's not him. That's obviously the Shimmer. Like, we all know this. But um, (laughs) overall, Annihilation, I will never watch it. I will always watch this movie sober. Like, I'm not going to be on anything (laughs) when I watch this movie again. Um, It's honestly, like, re-watching it a second time kind of opened my eyes to just, like, the human condition of the film and how the shimmer isn't there to like hurt anybody, but they're just kind of there for vibes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's kind of they're just cosmic horror, isn't it? Yeah. It's cosmic yeah. Horror. yeah. Yeah. Cosmic horror. And I do like how the shimmer, um, kind of makes them reflect on their past. Like Lena thinking back to how she cheated on her husband and flashing back to the moments in their marriage where it kind of like started dissolving and overall the movie is just kind of like about self-destruction like that's an overall theme of the film it's about how like um anya is an addict so she's destroying her body and her organs how josie radic um she is so depressed that she looks for other ways to like deal with her sadness and that's destroying her casey shepherd holds on to the grief that she has from her passing and Dr. Ventress isn't seeking out any kind of human connection in any way and throws herself into her job that takes up all her time, all her energy where she is basically just like a little robot that shows up to work and doesn't search for any kind of joy or human connection at the end of the day. And then Lena is willing to walk into a zone where people have disappeared don't know what's in there. Don't know what's going on. But sure, I'm going to jump in there. Because like it's not like I have a class classroom and like peers who will miss me if I'm gone. Like, no, 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 no. Let's go hunt. Let's go figure out what's going on in there. Aliens, I'm down. You know? <laughs> so overall, um, women committing so many wrongs. Yeah, I'm here for it. I don't know if they're committing wrongs, so to speak. But overall, this movie is like... I would say it deserves the 89... 89 percent on Rotten tomatoes it's honestly like amazing and mm. um do you guys think that this movie is do you think it's about aliens or do you maybe think it's about something else um, i mean some people- yeah i think i think that there is a lot of metaphor in this movie mm-hmm. um you know it's it's based on a book right by Jeff, yes it is based Jeff on the book Vier. i forgot to mention that yeah yeah yeah. yeah. it's a three-part had, book right? i started Children? reading it actually 
Oh, that's oh, wow. so cool! <laughs> I just—I awesome. only just started reading. I've only like a few pages in, but yeah, it's it's, it's part of a trilogy, um, the Southern Reach trilogy, uh, with the other books, Authority and Acceptance. So I don't know. I feel like there is a, sort of a through line between like all of these um, sort of ideas of, of of sort of the human condition, and then maybe mm-hmm. maybe I don't know grief or or like yeah maybe cancer, um, but there is definitely some sort of metaphor going on. Mm. Yeah, very H.P. Lovecraft, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah that's the cosmic. the cosmic horror. That's the thing that I like. I like movies where it's you just cannot explain what's what is going on or why it's there, or it doesn't even have a motive. It's like the bear; it's just mm. there. It's mutated. It's weird. It it doesn't necessarily have a motive. Or it's evil. It's or even understandable by us. It's just yeah. there, and it's dangerous. And you can't guess what it's going to do next, and that yeah. just any anything like that cosmic horror where you can't explain what's going on or or why it's happening that really freaks me out. I love it. Yeah, I mean, one one thing I love about the film as well is uh, it shows sort of destruction is beautiful, which is mm. really different, and also nature is destructive Mm -hmm. which is like sort of the opposite of how we normally go about things like humans are destruction we're destroying nature not nature is taking over and mutating mutating these these humans and 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 it turning it into nature like people turning into flowers and and plants and stuff so it's it's really really interesting um i mean alex gallon just goes uh, from strength to strength with everything he does. Like, as uh, starting off as a writer, you know, like f- movies like The Beach and 28 Days Later and Sunshine, um, and then mm-hmm. moving to directing, it's just, poor. I, he can do no wrong. Like, I, I feel like everything he touches <laughs> is just gold. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an amazing it, atmospheric movie. Well, the other thing I really is. loved about it is the fact that it's a, it came out around about the same time as the Ghostbusters movie with an all-female lineup, and there oh, was yeah. so much discourse about that film having an all-female lineup, and it it turned really toxic. And mm-hmm. yet, this movie came out with an all-female lineup, and nobody ever mentioned it. Yeah. So I was actually fifteen minutes into the movie where I suddenly realised, oh, hang on, this is an all-female cast. <laughs> just, yeah, just mm-hmm. I just didn't notice. It didn't matter. It was just yeah. I, I I think that's that's the that's what's great about this movie. They don't kind of tell us that it's all female cast. Like it, it just is. Like just mm-hmm. just accept it as it is. It's kind of like the descent. The, the like it's an all female cast, but it doesn't really matter yeah. that it is. Like, but it's great that it is. Um, but it's not the whole point of the movie, which is what yeah. Ghostbusters kind of came out as. Like we're females, and we're gonna tell you every minute of this movie that we're all female um mm-hmm. <laughs> so like i don't know I, I i love this movie how and and in the book which i've only just started reading like they're all women and that's fine it doesn't matter let's move on with the story and that's that's what matters like we just want to watch a movie we don't want to watch yeah. an agenda i guess <laughs> yeah and i like that the movie kind of um relied more on like 
the beauty and also like the science aspect of the film because i was reading somewhere that some studio executives were scared that people would not understand the movie or that would be like too brainy for (laughs) certain people to watch (laughs) i actually didn't mind that there were they kind of like delve deep into the science of the film and i appreciate that but also the characters and the acting the writing and just like the beauty of this film is amazing. Like when they saw the two people and like the fungus in the pool, I was freaked out, horrified, but also just like awestruck by yeah. it. And just seeing that it, that one like part in the movie, I was just like, Oh wow, this is, this is not, <laughs> this is not what we expect it to be. So I, I loved it. You know, I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, the visuals are stunning. Like, I, I mm. this is one of those movies where the trailer does not do the movie justice. I remember watching That's the trailer so and thinking, this look, this movie looks trash. Like, it looks like a yeah. dumb movie. And I watched the movie, and I was like, yeah, this is amazing. This is mm. way better than what the trailer tells, tells us. Um, another aspect of the movie that's really amazing is the sound and music. So the score yeah. is... Oh yes, super creepy, especially in that moment with the sort of the dance choreography thing. It looks so <laughs> strange, and, and the music is that. is so 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 good. So it's done by Jeff Barrow, um, and uh, oh, who's the other guy? Ben, ben Salisbury. Salisbury. So Jeff Barrow is is actually a member of Porter's Head. I had no idea, mm. um, and so that's why the music is is yeah, it's got that sort of vibe and mood and tone to it, which is yeah, quite you can surreal. hear it. <laughs> yeah yeah you can yeah 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 i think also this film came out around the same time that i mean there were a lot of movies coming out when this movie came out like um black panther was coming out there's a movie called um downsizing do you guys remember mm, that movie that was not a good movie <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, no it's not a good movie the, yeah. the trailer made it out to be really interesting and it's got a really interesting premise but the the movie itself is not it's not great it's not great yeah and i think another reason why this film probably didn't do that well at the box office which i see with a lot of films where i I watch the trailer and i'll see the cast and i'm like this film has to just like 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 eat it like this has to just like eat like like out the like knock it out of the park just like amazing and I saw this also with widows because widows had a really really good cast like viola davis michelle rodriguez sithany uh, and Verena, I always say her last name wrong. And also, um, Liam Neeson was in the film, and Brian Tyree Henry and Daniel Kaluuya was also in that film, and Colin Farrell. Like the amount of people that was in Widows, like it was, it was astonishing to me that it didn't do well. But it's just that the marketing was not all that it was cracked up to be, and it it's honestly like disappointing when you see movies that kind of like interesting premise but also like kind of stupid and they have so much marketing so many trailers commercials billboards like youtube ads all over the place i see film like annihilation or widows where it's like amazing cast amazing story amazing premise this could do great and then it's kind of like oh we don't have the confidence in this film so you know what we'll just kind of let it we'll release it but if nobody sees it then like oops it's not our fault you know that's the kind of thing that gets under my skin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm really jealous that you got to see it in theaters because I don't mm. think it came out in theaters in Australia at all. Like, no. I don't think it came out in theaters apart from was it America and China as the only two countries that came yeah. out in theaters? They pulled yeah. it out of the box office, which is crazy uh, because it, it would have been so amazing to see on the big screen. Because I thought yeah. it was just dumped straight to Netflix. I had no idea even 
winter theatres. It was in the UK. Yeah. It was dumped straight to Netflix. It's such a shame. I'd love to see it yeah. projected. It really was one of those rare times where like a film came out around the same time. I actually had time to go see it in theaters and I was like, oh, hell yeah. And overall, I feel like it definitely deserved a lot more. And also it reminds me of a mother. Do you guys remember that movie Mother with uh, Jennifer Darren Lawrence? Aronofsky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Darren, yes. That movie was also kind of a box office flop. But I actually did not watch that movie because Darren... Aronofsky? Aronofsky? Yeah. A lot of his films are not really my type, I guess I should say. And Mother looked uh, like one of those yeah. movies where it's like... Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, he's kind of one of those directors that I will keep watching his movies, but I will not watch his movies again. Uh, because they're, they're, quite, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like really good to watch once, and that's it. I don't, I don't, I don't need to see that again. But mm-hmm. yeah, Mother is one of those movies where the ending is like, holy shit. Um, that's yeah. crazy. Um, so yeah, but I can see why people didn't like that movie. It's not for everyone. It's it, and there is again a lot of metaphor. It's not it's not just like a black and white with what the meaning of the film is. It's it's very um, surreal and metaphorical and different. Mm. Yeah, but overall, Annihilation. Um, I think this is a film that is something that. If and um, I interact with a lot of like people on film Twitter, so people who are more of lovers of like female led films and also just like movies that are gorgeous, like undeniably amazing and breathtaking to see, especially the ending when she like actually sees the shimmer and it like is like going in and out in like light and like rainbow colors. And like me watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely beautiful it's kind of like how can this be a weapon it's so gorgeous like i don't even know like what's going on like this is phenomenal like people who like pretty things in movies have like attached themselves to this movie it's like this is amazing this is phenomenal this is a masterpiece and i also think this movie is absolutely amazing and natalie portman deserves like her saying yes to this movie was the right move to go because this movie i love it so much it's so great and i also want to say in the research I've done in this film, you know, there are those people, they watch movies and they kind of break it down a little too much, you know, like they look for like a little clues and Easter eggs every single place they can to mm. try and figure out like, Oh, what does this mean? What does that mean? And there are people who think that like Lena that is being interviewed by Benedict Wong is actually the shimmer because when she drinks her, the glass, they think the water mutates. It's not mutation. It's surface tension. But when you see like the first scene where Lena touches her husband's hand and he moves his hand away and the hand moves faster than it does in the water, that's that's the key. That was the key right there that like let me know, okay, there's something going on here. Because a lot of times in horror movies, they don't use that trick enough. Like water, like seeing something reflected in the water or in a mirror. Because I remember watching Candyman. This is a tangent, but stick with me. I remember watching Candyman. It was a, the newer one. And... um yaya abdul mentin he's talking to his girlfriend and then he kind of closes the door to her and then he goes down like puts his head down on like the counter and he moves but the mirror reflection does not so it's like the separation of self you're seeing it in the movie and it was like this little scene that like no one really caught but i caught that and i was like oh my gosh that's that's the kind of thing i eat up that's i love that (laughs) shit i love that shit in movies so 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how I felt about Annihilation. I love that film. And honestly, like, I try to recommend it to as many people as I can because it's, mm. it's really good. I would agree. Yeah. It's yeah. not one that I, <laughs> I sat watching for Easter eggs. I just wanted to experience it. Just mm-hmm. the, the mystery, the sound, the visuals. And yeah, the great performances from all of the all of the cast. Yep. Jennifer Jason Lee's amazing in it too. Oh yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. She's great. She's really awesome. good. Okay, yeah. well Conrad, um I would love to hear about um Exorcist Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, your pick. Yeah, so Exorcist Three, which uh I mean it didn't bomb really bad in the box office. It was released in 1990 mm-hmm. uh it cost about 11 million to make and it got 44 million but compared okay. to the original exorcist in 1973 which got about 180 million in the box office wow. Wow. and about 400 to date because it keeps being re-released um mm. yeah it was a bit of a disappointment now okay. it it followed exorcist 2 the heretic in 1977 which the director of the original Exorcist and the writer, so that's William Friedkin and William Peter Blatty, had absolutely nothing to do with Exorcist 2. It was directed by John Borman. They couldn't figure out the script. It's, instead of being a religious battle between good and evil, it's some weird psychic metaphysical thing to do with locusts. And it... It That's it doesn't good. make it it doesn't make any sense. It's terrible. Um, Linda Blair was in it. She repeated her her, her performance from the original film. Max von yeah. Sydow is in there. So, it, but it's got it's got nothing to do with the original. Really, it's it's a bit uh-huh. of a mess. So, The Exorcist Three is actually based on a novel written by William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original novel, The Exorcist, and the screenplay for the original film. The novel is called Legion. It was published in 1983 after uh, his attempt. He was writing a screenplay, actually, for a sequel, which William Friedkin was on board to direct, but then he got cold feet and said that he didn't... I don't think he really wanted to do horror again. So... It was shelved and he wrote it as a novel instead and put it out. And eventually, interest in making a sequel sort of grew. And so he came on board to direct it himself, the writer. Um, And it's the interesting, the thing I like about it is it's not an exorcist film again. It's actually a serial killer thriller and it's a police detective story. Uh, focusing mm. on Bill Kinderman, who's played by George C. Scott. He was originally in the original film. He had a, so he was sort of a side character, and he was played by a different actor. He was played by Lee J. Cobb, but he passed away right. in the interim. But yeah, folks shifts focus onto him and his relationship with Father Dyer, who's also a character in the original film, just a side character, and they're investigating a series of brutal murders that match the M.O. of a serial killer who was given the electric chair on the same day as Regan McNeil's exorcism in 1975. So the serial killer's dead, but all of a sudden there are more victims turning up 15 years later. And eventually uh, 
Kinderman is led to a psychiatric ward where the head of the ward, Dr. Temple, introduces him to a mysterious patient who was picked up that night, the night that um, the exorcism ended in 1975. Um, And he was catatonic. This guy didn't know who he was. They took him in. He's been a patient ever since. But all of a sudden, he started talking now. And the murders have started happening again. And he's played by Brad Dourif, who everybody loves as the voice of Chucky. Chucky, yes. (laughs) Ever since One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Brad Dourif has been playing mad, crazy killers in some way or another. We even did that in Lord of the Rings. Um, So it's him and he is electrifying in this, playing Patient X in a straitjacket in a padded room. All of his dialogue with Kinderman is just, it's terrifying and scary and funny. It's all all mixed together. Sometimes he looks like uh, Damien Karras, played by Jason Miller, who was the priest who died at the end of The Exorcist after he was, he, he uh, in, a, in an act of self-sacrifice, he asks the demon to come into him instead and then throws himself out the window. Spoilers for The Exorcist if you haven't seen it. <laughs> So he uh, sometimes he looks like that, and it this upsets Kinderman because he was his friend. Um, so yeah, there's some confusion over the identity of this patient X. Um, but it eventually turns out that the Gemini killer slipped into the priest's body after being executed uh, and has slowly worked his way back to life. And now that he's... 15 years later, he's got full power again. He's sort of psychically projecting himself into other patients in the ward, mostly confused and creepy old ladies, played by great character actors like Vivica Lindfors and uh, Mary Jackson towards the end of their careers, who, and they're going out and committing the murders. Um, So, yeah, really, it's a really freaky idea. It's not an exorcist movie it's a serial killer thriller with a sort of supernatural horror twist and it's Mm -hmm. got these two great lead characters in it these two old guys that are sort of world weary and bickering and and uh they've got all this really great dialogue including george c scott has a monologue about a carp in in a bathtub (laughs) the carp story is amazing (laughs) it's it it's ridiculous he's just moaning about the fact that his mother-in-law's bought a fish that she wants to cook and she's put it in his bathtub and it's swimming around in there <laughs> so yeah, he can't have he... a bath yeah <laughs> it's it's the most ridiculous story so the film has this sort of black comedy edge to it but yeah, it's okay. also really creepy and disturbing and brad Dorif is terrifying and the film has one of the greatest jump scares of all time whenever they do one of those sort of top 10 lists of the scariest jump scares the exorcist 3 jump scare in the hospital where a nurse is is attacked i won't say any more than that um yeah yeah it's good it sends chills down my spine every time i watch the movie i love that jump scare as well because it's not it's not sort of constructed like a normal jump scare Um, it's quite a wide shot as well and, it, mm. and there's so much build-up. So you think, yeah. oh, is this going to happen? Oh, no, it doesn't. And then you think, oh, is it going to happen? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. So it comes out of nowhere and you're just like freaked out. 
Yeah. The 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 writer said that when he went, the director actually said when he went to a preview screening, he loved watching that scene because the whole theater would just sort of levitate by a meter <laughs> every time it happened. Everybody yeah. would jump at once because it got them every time. Unfortunately, the producers at the studio, Morgan Creek, um, insisted that the film have the name Exorcist Three. The writer mm-hmm. didn't want that. He wanted to call it Legion and maybe just mention in the marketing that it's a sequel to The Exorcist, but they were determined to call it Exorcist 3, and Mm -hmm. then they were determined that it should have an exorcism in it. Um, So they went back with $4 extra dollars and did this ridiculous special effects-filled exorcism scene at the end of the movie, and he directed it. He said, if somebody's going to do it, it may as well be me, but he didn't want it in there. It makes absolutely no sense. It's just a lot of special effects for no reason and weirdness, and it doesn't belong in the movie. But um, uh, they've since pieced together the director's cut, and they re- Scream Factory released it on Blu-ray in 2016. They couldn't find the original footage on film, though, so it's actually sort of intercut between film and VHS video and tapes. VHS. So it's, oh, it, it's pretty horrible. ropey. It's pretty ropey, <laughs> but at least you can see what the director's intention was, which is quite um, quite interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a unique film, and one of the reasons why I picked it is because The Exorcist is coming back this year. Oh, uh, really? Again? Yeah. Yeah. David Gordon Green, the mastermind behind the three recent Halloween movies, oh. is doing a trilogy of Exorcist movies, and the first one comes out around Halloween this year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So fingers crossed because I thought the Halloween trilogy was sort of up and down, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does with it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to see it revived because there are those two prequel Exorcist movies that came out, uh, yeah. which are so strange. Like, I don't, I don't really understand how that happened. So there are two movies. They're both prequels. They both have similar actors. Uh, ha- they both have similar locations. But they're different stories, and they come out, like, I think mm. a year apart. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't so know. What, how did that happen? How did that well, they, happen? They made one movie. They didn't like it, so they hired Rennie Harlan and they, as a new director, and they filmed it again. <laughs> so it's like... Yeah. Two movies with almost the same cast in the same sets doing different stories. It's it's really weird. It's never happened before and probably will yeah. never happen again. Yeah, I mean, it's how did they have, like, all that, that spare money? Like, oh, we've got all this all the millions of dollars spare. We might as well just do it again. Mm. I have no idea. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> it's like that Batgirl movie that they just shelved. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you just throw money away like that? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly. peculiar. It's it's crazy. Uh, yeah. um, so the the Exorcist three. This is is part of his Exorcist trilogy, right? Uh, William Peter Blatty. So the first movie, The Exorcist. I mean, the first book, The Exorcist. The second book, The Ninth Configuration, which was directed and, and made into a movie by the writer. Um, I have seen it. I remember it being okay. I don't think it was exceptional it was okay it was very mm. philosophical um but yeah so this movie is like the third in the trilogy of his book i do like this movie in terms of how it's it's just within the exorcist universe 
Like, it's mm. not just The Exorcist again. Like, it's not just the same movie again, which is what often these franchises with horror tend to do. They, they tend to either just repeat the same movie just with different mm-hmm. characters in a different setting, yeah. or they try to add something that's really weird, um, yeah. like telekinesis or something. Um, <laughs> but this movie, is it's just a different story completely. It's within the same universe with the same rules, kind of, um, but it's it's a different type of movie, the fact that it's yeah, more it's of a, a detective. Yeah, a different genre. Yeah, yeah detective uh, like investigation into a serial killer. Um, I was also surprised by this movie because it is a horror, but it's. I don't think there's any gore. There's like no, no gore in the movie. I don't. You see a little bit of blood, but you never see any body close-ups. No, it's always it's the like descriptions. Far, yeah. It's like Brad Dourif talking about the fact that he likes to sever people's heads, and because a head carries on seeing for twenty seconds, he likes yeah. holding the head up to show oh. it its own body. It's really Horrifying. creepy stuff that he says that you just imagine. Yeah. You don't see a lot. You just imagine stuff. It's, yeah. Yeah. I it think has also a real this movie, atmosphere, the movie. This movie also um, stands out because there is a lot of character development. Like, you really mm. do get to know these characters. There's a lot of breathing room between um, the horror parts and the non-horror parts. And so you... you develop a connection with these characters especially when one of the characters dies it's it's heartbreaking it's that uh, you actually feel something whereas no horror movies it's like oh yes the idiot dies <laughs> that's kind of what i wanted anyway whereas in this movie <laughs> people die that you don't want them to die yeah so i think we've all picked character driven horror movies that aren't really horror movies <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well i mean i i would say exist three was definitely a horror movie uh, yeah. especially with some of those scenes uh, and also yeah. the hospital setting oh yeah it's, hospitals it's, are just creepy let's be yeah. honest <laughs> really 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 Very creepy <laughs> I found this movie kind of art housey in the fact, like, uh, like that dream sequence is really strange and surreal. Yeah, that, featuring that Samuel L. Station. Jackson. Really? Is it? Yeah, yeah. I had no he idea. Is the, he is the blind man in the waiting room between heaven and hell. Yeah, oh. Samuel L. Jackson, one of his first ever roles. It's a weird cameo. Wow. Oh. I had no idea. Yeah. Mm. And Fabio's in there as an angel as well, I think. Oh, really? I thought it was Fabio. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I thought I was yeah. seeing things. Yeah, That's one hilarious. of the angels is Fabio. It's yeah, it's weird. Larry King's in the movie too. <laughs> Nobody knows why. Strange, wow. strange. Yeah. I did find with this movie as well, like how it was filmed. It didn't feel like a nineties movie. It felt like a seventies movie. Like mm. it felt quite sort of timeless, and and just some of the filming techniques, like a lot of crash zooms. Um, yeah, very seventies with like huge, you know, music stings in there, um, and yeah, a lot of humor. I think I think this movie balances humor and horror and drama really well. Yeah, I really like that because the original doesn't really have a sense of humor, not much of one. Not really, no, no, no. Um, yeah, I do agree though that exorcism, that exorcism in this movie is just like that priest character. It's 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 barely a character, like mm. I don't. It's he was added just in. shoved in there. Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, who is yeah. he? How is he even connected whatsoever? 
No, it's just it's just been glued on. It's got nothing to do with anything. I mean, Nicole Williamson is a great actor, but he's just in there for one special effects scene, and that's it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I did want to ask, like, why why do you think they decided to have Brad Dorf as as a killer instead of just using Jason Miller? Because like he is in Jason Miller's, I will, you know, Karis's uh, body. Like, why didn't they just use that actor? He wasn't available. Right. Yeah, oh. Jason Miller wasn't available. So they went with Brad Dourif. Right. So they just got him in for a couple of scenes kind of thing. Um, he became available. So they, they reshot all of the asylum scenes. Right. Okay. I so mean, that the, yeah. They could include I'm, him. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not complaining about Brad Dourif. He's, he is, he is exceptional He's amazing. in this movie. He's like, amazing he is, in this he is scary. Mm, yeah, very scary. But, uh, I mean, and also because I'm so used to his voice as Chucky, like seeing him as an actor, real life <laughs> in the movie was like really good. Rather than a doll, yeah. Yeah. Makes a change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I actually haven't seen the Exorcist movies, so I really did appreciate you guys like kind of going through it. And I actually think I might watch it now. Like I might actually add it to my watch list. Mm. and check it out because i don't usually do exorcism paranormal activity kind of movies because i'm a very superstitious kind of person so, right right <laughs> yeah i find I them the, i find them the scariest uh those are the scariest mm. types of movies for me like anything yeah. paranormal with ghosts or anything like i'm just terrified mm-hmm. um so yeah 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 awesome and i actually didn't know that the director from the new Halloween films was going to do an Exorcist remake. Mm. Um, that is so interesting. What are they going to call it? Is it just like The Exorcist 4? Or is there like a different working title behind it? It's a reboot, it? right? I reboot? think it's sort of one of those soft reboots. So Ellen Burstyn, who oh. played the mother in the very first movie, is coming back. And it's going to be mm-hmm. the father of a child who's possessed seeks her out for her advice, I think. So it's kind oh, of a okay. passing the torch remake right. reboot yeah. soft reboot so is it just going to yeah. be called the exorcist so that it confuses everyone i think it's called <laughs> the exorcist colon believer oh okay oh. all right they've got a, a yeah. add-on as well. i don't know oh, okay it just makes me think of the monkeys but yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay that sounds interesting i do have to say david gordon green well the first halloween movie was pretty good yeah, the other two, I can't really say that it was as good, but you know, maybe The Exorcist will be a little bit better. I or hope we'll so. Just to wait and see. I hope so. Yeah, I'll go yeah. and watch I mean, it. I hope so too. Mm. Yeah, I'll That's give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we'll give him a chance. We'll give him a chance. <laughs> we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna be like, oh, well, the last two movies were bad, so like, there's no way you could doing yeah. better like yeah let yeah. him prove himself first <laughs> yeah <laughs> i actually do like that all the films that we picked are like you said um movies where you watch them you'll actually feel something when someone dies because i can't really say that anyone well i feel like two people like actually died in annihilation for two characters like dr ventress and josie i don't really know if they died or if they like became something else and with mm. lena i don't know if she's really like dead or she's something else but 
to see something happen to characters that are like, you know, characters that you can become attached to, or you're at least interested in, in the film and to actually feel a type of way when you see them like meet a certain demise. I think that's a lot more meaningful when you're watching a horror movie rather than watching a horror film. And then like someone is just like killed and it's kind of like, Oh, well, <laughs> I guess that's it. It's a horror movie. You know what? Someone's going to die. So it is what it is. But, mm. uh, all the movies you talked about have been so amazing. And the exorcist three, when you said that you wanted to talk about that one, I was kind of like, Oh, okay. I didn't see that as a flop, but you know what? I'll, I'll um, have an open mind behind it. And I'm actually glad you talked about it because it's, it sounds very interesting as a film. I do say, I did say like sequels that are different from the originals. I don't usually like it kind of like is a little bit annoying to me, but the way you described it and you, how you guys are like going back and forth with it, it does seem like something I should at least like give a chance. Yes. Yeah. One of those things where they don't break it too much. They just sort of give it in a, you know, a slightly different twist. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It works. I mean, it's always tricky with sequels though, you know, like generally they just Mm. don't, uh, they don't work as well as the original generally. Uh, it's, Mm -hmm. It's very rare. Right, it right. Is. Okay, well, uh, those are all of the movies that we spoke about. You know, horror movies that were box office flops and they became cult classics. And we're going to dive into our last segment of the podcast, which is going to be Watch List, where we talk about new movie, new, new movies and TV shows that we're excited to see that are coming out soon. Or it could be a television show or a movie that you have been wanting to see for a long time and you really want to make the chance to see it or anything you want to recommend to people that you've watched recently. And I actually saw that Black Mirror season six is finally coming out wow. <laughs> on Netflix. It is. And they actually released the synopsis for the five episodes. And they Ooh. all look very interesting. They all look very good. And I'm actually very excited because the last season of um, Black Mirror, I have to be honest, I only watched the first episode. The second one with... Um, oh my gosh. I forget the actor's name, but he played the priest, the hot priest in Fleabag, and then Moriarty <laughs> and Sherlock... <laughs> um andrew scott um i only watched the yes. first episode of season five of black mirror and the second episode i started watching it and i was like you know what i'm actually good you know but i'm excited to see season six because i know the creators had said that like the world has gotten so messed up we don't even know if you guys want black mirror anymore like <laughs> whatever is yeah. going on right now do we really need to pick the show anymore but <laughs> to see that it's coming back and to see all the actors that are slated to be season six is extremely tantalizing to me because Zazie Beats is going to be in it and she's from Atlanta and Deadpool too. She's amazing. And also there's an actress who's going to be in season six of Black Mirror who is on the HBO show Industry. She's the main character. I don't remember the actress's name, but I love that show Industry and HBO. It is so, so good. So the fact that she's going to be a Black Mirror is something I'm very, very excited for. Cool. I mean, that's one of the things I'm excited that's coming out soon. But is there anything that you guys are excited to watch to be released soon? I think Conrad, you should go first. I'm really bad at keeping up with new things. <laughs> <laughs> really terrible. One that one that I'm really keen to check out is Poker Face, which is a oh, detective yeah, series. Yeah, with Natasha Leone from Russian yes. Doll. 
and it's yes, masterminded by Ryan Johnson. It's one of those detective shows where you know mm-hmm. who did it, and it's just figuring out how she's going to figure out who did it. That's where the suspense oh. is. It's like, how is she going to figure it out? Um, oh, okay. But it's, yeah, it's nice. on Peacock in the States, and it's okay. not available here at all. And it drives me wow. crazy. I keep <laughs> hitting refresh on my Just Watch app. You know, where is it? Where can I find it? But yeah, no sign of it yet. So I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, that's so cool. That's kind of weird that, because I actually have another friend of mine who lives in the UK, and he told me that he can't watch Hulu in the UK. No. Is that right? No, you can't. Yeah. No, it's only no, in America. It doesn't, doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But yeah. Like, <laughs> Americans don't know how good they have it. Like, they have so <laughs> much to watch. And, and all, a lot of uh, movies that get re-released on Blu-ray and DVD only come out in America as well. So we can't even mm. buy it on, on disc. Like, it's, it's it's yeah. We, we, we're just, like, holding on to anything that we can watch. <laughs> that we wow. can get. At least with Netflix, it's worldwide and anything that they get they drop everywhere you know everybody can see it everywhere yeah so if it's a netflix property yes it is um but like you know the american database of netflix is way bigger than the australian database of netflix like we 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 get way less choice in terms of what what we can watch wow Wow. i heard that disney plus hulu and espn is going to become one app like they're making it one streaming service. So oh, I'm wondering right. if that's going to be available to you guys. Maybe. We've got Disney+. Plus. Maybe. Yeah. 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 I, I've had to cancel subscriptions. I can't. I just can't afford that many. Like it was, it's just too many. <laughs> too many. <laughs> I don't watch oh, that yeah. much. Honestly, I actually don't actually watch a lot of, of, of shows. It takes me weeks or months <laughs> to watch one show. Um, sometimes... <laughs> Like my my continued watching list is huge, and also my watch yeah. list is huge because I, I will <laughs> yes. watch anything and everything, like anything. I will watch anime, I will watch rom coms, mm-hmm. I will watch horror, I will watch sci fi, anything, anything at all. Yeah. And so it's just never ending. And so even with Netflix, I will never run out of things to watch on just <laughs> one platform. <laughs> Have you guys watched um, the show The Boys on Amazon Prime? I haven't. I've I don't heard have of it. Amazon. Yeah, I've heard, heard of it. Yeah, okay. I heard it's good. I heard it's good. I heard it's good. But again, like, there's just so much superhero stuff out there. I just need. Oh, a, I need a break. But the boys. It's actually like it's one of those shows you watch where it kind of subverb sub what sub subverts yeah, the superhero yeah. genre in the same way yeah. that Invincible does and like Peacemaker. I guess that's another one. It's it's honestly very good if you can stomach horror and like a lot of profanity and a lot of scenes that are it's one of the shows where it's on streaming for a reason it does not hold back at all it's very very good but it's also a lot but i actually enjoy it and i was actually surprised about how much i enjoyed that show because i used to not watch shows that were like profanity violence score like it's too much for me at times but i remember watching the boys and like the first season I finished it so quickly and I was like, how, how am I into this now? Like, what is this? Is this my taste? Is this is my thing. And I mean, it was, and they're coming out with season four soon, which, um, since you guys haven't seen it, I can't really share like my thoughts on it, but I'm actually like <laughs> surprised and excited for season four. But also it's that thing where it's like the show is going so well so far. So let's hope we stay that way, you know? Mm. 
Yeah. It's one of those yeah. things. But yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing it's that annoys me the most is when like a show gets cancelled. It's like, why did yeah. I even bother? <sighs> why why did yeah. I spend all that time watching a show uh, and then it gets cancelled? <sighs> Netflix. Just yeah. any yeah. There yeah. are so many shows I've watched on Netflix, like Santa Clarita Diet with Drew Barrymore. I love mm. that show. That um, was good. Yeah, the last season wasn't great. I don't know. I, I feel like it... the, I feel like the next season after the last season probably would have like made up for it because they're trying out new things. And I was like, yeah. we're getting to the lore a little bit more. Maybe you know, let's pick it up. I'm not gonna lie. Like some episodes in that last season were not as good as the first season, obviously. But I was like, you know what? This cliffhanger might. Bring us some promise. Yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, the first season <laughs> was was like amazing. It was so good. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. It was amazing. Yeah, um, I think there was one show that I was excited to watch that's still going to come out. It's called The Idol on HBO. Have you guys heard of that show? No, I don't yeah. think so. Have you guys heard of Euphoria? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. So Euphoria, basically the creator of Euphoria, Sam Levison, he created the show called The Idol. And um, at the beginning, when they were first creating the show, it was him and it was a female kind of director, a showrunner working alongside with him. And also the musical artist The Weeknd, who wrote the song oh, yeah. Can't Feel My Face and Blinding Lights. Yeah. He's also an executive producer and star of the show as well. But along the way in the production of the show, somehow, some way, the female showrunner and director, writer, creator, uh, was let go from the project. So it was just Sam Levison and The Weeknd. So the show goes from being a show centered around a young woman entering the pop um, scene, entering fame and becoming a celebrity, and what that's like and how she's taken advantage of and how celebrity culture is full of abuse and substance abuse, all these things. And then it kind of turns into the show where it's like, we're the bad guys. We are the people taking advantage. We are the people that are hurting people. Like it's kind of going from the female's point of view and perspective of how like women who enter the women who become celebrities are um, kind of ingrained in this culture of like being hurt and taking advantage of to, oh, you know, people were taking advantage of you. Of you. They're the main character now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. the, the show definitely changed its pace with Sam Levison in The Weeknd kind of taking the helm of the show because um i guess you guys haven't seen euphoria but season two of euphoria kind of reflects sam levison being an overall creep and <laughs> just like taking creative liberties that he shouldn't be taking so i was excited to see the idol because it actually is coming out pretty soon but now i'm less excited to watch it and it's one of those things where it's like i still want to watch it just to see but also, I don't want you to get my streams, you know? Yeah. I don't want you to get, like, what little sense you may get from me streaming those on HBO Max. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's... Yeah. It's a... <laughs> I think I'm just going to wait for someone else to watch it, a friend of mine, and tell me what they think. And then maybe I'll pirate it. But um, <laughs> it's been a while since that's happened to me, where, like, a show I'm excited to watch is coming out, and then in the middle of production, it's like, oops, nope, sorry. Actually, it's going to be worse. And it's like, oh, I don't know about that now. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really disappointing. <laughs> I hope it is. even though they've changed the perspective, they don't make it as though those guys are the heroes. 
that it's sort of condemning them in in some way it's not really condemning it it's more of like we're along for the ride oh that's not great yeah (laughs) yeah but the good thing is that american born chinese is coming out on disney plus and i'm excited for that one um it's a show starring michelle yo key oh my gosh i'm gonna say his name wrong but basically it's starring like three main characters from everything everywhere all at once and a new actor james hong and it's kind of an adaptation from um gene yang's graphic novel about an awkward high schooler who gets sucked into a battle among gods of chinese mythology and i'm excited for it because there's a lot of stylized fight scenes in this show and also it's for kids so it's not going to be bloody and gory so i don't have to cover my eyes for anything so i'm gonna (laughs) gonna enjoy it wow that sounds amazing yeah that sounds yeah i actually saw some i saw the trailer on tiktok one day and i was like oh because it's one of those things that they announced at disney day a while back and mm. they announced a lot of shows so it's kind of like oh, okay i'll just wait for it to come out and then the trailer is here and i was like oh awesome so it's going to be released at the end of this month so i'm very excited yeah. for it not long okay. to wait yeah. yeah okay is there anything else that you guys are excited to watch or any recommendations you have for my listeners anything that you've watched recently uh well yeah <laughs> I don't know. No. Like I, I again I always watch this older older stuff, so I don't know. I don't know what yeah. your listeners are into. Um. <laughs> They're kind of into anything, really. I mean, I recently started watching The Great on Hulu, which hopefully you guys will get to see soon with the new jumbo <laughs> streaming service that Disney's trying to make. But um it's a sh- it's a show that kind of follows Peter the great son and Catherine the great and their marriage and like their rule over Russia. And it is not historically accurate. The show makes it plain that it's not historically accurate, but it is very fun. And Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt are phenomenal in this show. And I love it. And I've been watching it recently and it's the thing that I really do enjoy. One show that I would recommend to you guys on Netflix is called Lupin. It's L U P I N. And it's a show about this guy Oh, he... the, the thief? Yeah, the thief. Is that is that French? Is that a French show? Yeah, no, yeah. I think it oh, is. It's French. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really good show. I think that the last season, I'm not sure if it's coming out this year, but I know that it's already been announced. But there are already three seasons on Netflix right now, and it's honestly one of my favorite shows that I've seen. And I love it when you kind of scroll through Netflix, you kind of see a random show, and you're like, oh, I'll give this a chance. And it's like, oh, my gosh. How would the world see this? How would the world else know that this exists? Like, this is amazing. Like, that's the kind of show that it is. So um, I definitely recommend it to you guys. It's called Lupin. It's about this guy. He basically is a thief and he follows um, the stories of um, a novelized thief with the same name. And it's intricate. It's amazing. It's just like, it's one of those shows you watch. It's like, how did he come up with this plan? How did he do this? How did you map that out in your brain? Like, if I was in this situation, I would literally give up. Like, how did you (laughs) shenanigan your way out of this conundrum? So I recommend it to you guys because it's, I think, five episodes each season. And every episode is like an hour long. But it's actually a pretty quick watch, you know, if you put some time into it. Yeah. Oh, check that out. I do, yes. I do love the fact that Netflix is investing in so much local content all over the world. So you get things like 
dark and you get things like Squid Game and it's all there. You can watch it and it's just that you might not come to the top of the chart in the country you're in, but if you Mm. find it, it's a great discovery. Mm. Yeah, One that I would recommend from the UK and Dan is not going to be surprised to hear this because I keep (laughs) mentioning it, is uh, Heartstopper, which is... Oh my gosh, I know the show. It's absolutely beautiful. So yeah, LGBTQ stories... Mm-hmm. Um, based on a graphic novel, and uh, the second season of that is coming up later this year in it August. Is. And yeah. I have, I have completely booked the day off work so I can <laughs> binge the entire wow. show in wow. one sitting. Yeah, I'm I'm that addicted to it. I bought all the graphic novels as well and read them. It's just an antidote, I think, to Euphoria. I think Euphoria was quite gritty, whereas mm. this is. Uh, it's it made so that kids could watch it with their parents too. So it's not explicit, um, mm-hmm. but it does deal with some serious issues. It does deal with prejudice. And if the new season goes the way that the graphic novels do, we'll be looking at um, self-harm and eating disorders as well. So, mm. but it's a, it's for all that it deals with them in such hopeful and emotionally mature ways. Um, and it's a great cast it's a very um, diverse and representative cast as well, which is great. You, you even have a trans character in there as well. Mm. It's yeah, oh, it's a wait, great show. The trans show. character in that show, she's going to be in Doctor Who. She right? is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so dope. It's so good. I've actually been meaning to watch that. Um, thank you for recommending it to me because I do have to watch it before the second season comes out in August. Yeah, you definitely should. Yeah. My challenge to you is see if you can watch episode three's cliffhanger and not immediately start watching episode four. (laughs) (laughs) I accept that challenge. (laughs) See if you can. They're only 20 minutes long each episode, so the temptation to just keep going is pretty strong. (laughs) That's amazing. And um, Heartstopper, I think it kind of reminds me of like Love, Victor, which is like mm. kind of like the spinoff of like Life, Love, Simon, the movie. So that's, I actually do love that there are more films, I guess like more television shows and films with like young children discovering their identity and their mm. like sexuality and like honestly speaking about things that, um, that kids are dealing with. But a lot of times when there are television shows that cover these things, they go about it in a more sense sensationalized and like dramatized kind of way it's kind of how i felt when i saw um 13 reasons why because a lot of people like the first season i actually did not like the first season and the, mm. the subsequent seasons were a lot worse and worse but i'm glad that there are shows like love victor hot heart stopper even like never have i ever which is more of a quirky show and a funny show but it still touches ah. on things like racism identity romance um those kind of things and I really appreciate that those things are being made for this generation. That way they have something to look to and something to like kind of educate them on hmm. the difficult challenge that is adolescence. Cause it's not easy. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the great thing about those shows and, and Heartstopper is that it, it doesn't go for the easy sensational drama sort of mm-hmm. um, melodramatic route. It actually diffuses it and goes for something that's that, that focuses on making making sure people understand that if you communicate with each other and you're emotionally honest with each other, you can find your way through. It's when people lie and hide things that things go bad. And 
even though it doesn't give you the melodrama, it's so mm-hmm. much more satisfying because it does something slightly different than you were expecting. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a very good show. Dan still agree, hasn't watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, do you have... I think this is still on HBO, hopefully, but if not, uh, I do hope that you can find a way to watch this show. It's called Generation. Have you heard of that uh, show? I haven't, it has no. A, it has a plus in place of the T, but it's a show that was released on HBO Max um, in the beginning of 2021, and it stars Justice Smith, and he's from Detective Pikachu, and... Um, oh, he was in the, Dungeons and Dragons as well. He was so yes. good in that. Yes, he was great in Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, he um, plays Chester in the show. He's someone who is like openly queer at his school. And it's again like a group of kids discovering their identity, sexuality, how to be an adolescent growing up in this uh, strange world. And I actually loved this show a lot because mm. it was a lot of fun, but it was also like one of the first. I think teen shows that HBO Max did besides Euphoria, but um, it wasn't, it has like the same, I guess, honesty that Euphoria provides to their viewers, but it's still kind of like, I don't know how to say this child, not childlike, but it knows how to be lighthearted at Mm. times. So it was a very good show. I feel like not a lot of people, not enough people watched it because it did get canceled after one season. And um, I don't think it's actually on HBO Max anymore. I think it was one of the titles that they removed from the platform, which really upset me. So it might be on some random streaming service now, but I, I loved it nonetheless. And watching yeah. Heartstopper reminded me of um, the show. A lot so i was really sad when they pulled it from hbo max i was like no they already don't get paid enough for this stuff like why is it leaving because then i can't rewatch it but yeah it's not available oh. anywhere oh my gosh no That's warner so why are you doing this to me oh it's available in australia on a service called binge don't know oh, if yeah. you have that one Dan. yeah yeah there you go i don't have that Dan. <laughs> get the seven day trial and binge it <laughs> and binge it yeah <laughs> okay well you know what it was such a delight having you guys on the podcast um i have learned so much about the two movies that you guys shared with me and just going back and forth and i'm definitely going to watch Heartstopper and exorcist and also near dark you know because i don't usually do vampire stuff but i think i might i think i'm gonna give it a chance because i do love Catherine bigelow she is a phenomenal director Mm. and uh guys i hope you really did enjoy listening to the podcast and um shout out to dan and conrad for being on the podcast uh please go check out their links down in the description below and go listen to their own podcast uh movie Oubliette. Go check it out. It's going to be in the description down below, you guys. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, join the Patreon, and um, like, share, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and share with your family and friends. And I will see you guys and talk to you guys next week with another podcast. Bye. Bye.